Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Read with me from Matthew 4, verses 1 through 11. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, It is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And he said to him, all these I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Tamara. Dr. Rieger. Rumor is already circulating that perhaps Jason has been raptured. (laughs) The ultimate good news, bad news scenario there. We will report back when we know something definitive. It's good to see so many of you Wednesday night for the Ash Wednesday service. I know it was a new experience for so many, but very good to see so many of you there. On Friday, uh, we opened the sanctuary and uh, a few of us gathered uh, to pray, and you guys know me well enough if you've been here for any length of time, I'm not quite this spiritual, but I, what, I, what I did do Friday was I, I walked amongst the pews. And because we are creatures of habit, I would walk by a pew and say, well, God, typically this is where so-and-so would sit. And I, and I prayed the same prayer, that you would be renewed, that we would be renewed, or that you would desire renewal or that you would desire to desire renewal. That there would be something uh, that only God can do that would kind of nudge you and push you toward uh, whatever it is that we mean renewal. So what do we mean when we use the term renewal? Here's, Here's what I would say. It would be a new or a renewed sense that we are not alone. That God, Emmanuel, is still with us, and with us in ways that provide for resources for forgiveness, for reconciliation, help, hope, 
impact out there beyond the walls and change, and not just for you and inside of you, but also for those around you. I have been in, in regular contact with my friend Brian, who's on faculty there at Asbury College, and here's the latest from the, uh, the scene of this most recent revival or renewal. It seems that the daily and the hourly uh, services have come to an end. But now they're trying to determine what they had seen, what, what happened, and where do we go from here? How do we now harness all that God has gifted us with so that we can go and move beyond the walls? But I would say to you again, it's Asbury College. They have, in some ways, been preparing for this for, for a long time. I mean, they are a campus, a Wesleyan campus, as we are a Wesleyan church, that are given to the regular practices and habits, or are supposed to be given to the regular practices and habits that do, in fact, prepare one's heart and mind and imagination and body and life for renewal. I'll say this to us again, and it may come as something of a disappointment. I don't know how often God plops revival on a person. I think more often folks ache for it and ache for it so deeply that they prepare for it. So the question I have for us, and Lent is the perfect time to ask this question, are you preparing for renewal? Are you preparing to have a deeper breath of God than you have had in the past? If so, what do those preparations look like? Or are you after something in faith that is a little bit more microwavable? A little bit more microwavable. Renewal likely is not microwavable. In fact, it may not strike you, first and foremost, as even something spectacularly supernatural. <laughs> Perhaps the best renewal happens in, in ways that we might consider today to be kind of mundane, like it, God seems to show up in the things that I do day in and day out. But even then, we're talking about preparation if you're even going to notice. And frankly, that's where I think, even during the season of Lent, that we'll face some of our toughest challenges. Because honestly, as busy as we all are, you're talented people. We are, we are all busy. We don't really have time to wait for renewal. We need it now, God, thank you. We don't have time to slow play this deal. We, we're so busy running, we don't have time to walk. And, and we're, by the way, we're busy doing good and necessary things but we're still busy. And, and here's the great danger of busyness. It's not in the things that you're doing so much as the danger is found in the things that you're not doing and perhaps not even noticing. That's the danger of, of busyness. If, and a lot of today's sermon will be a testimony, just speaking for myself, busyness works against any effort to prepare for renewal. Now, please don't get me wrong. I'm in the category of persons who desire renewal. But then the question is, but do I want it bad enough to slow down and prepare for it, to invest in it, to allow for God to do some seed planting, for God to do some of the, the nurturing of the soil 
that is, my life, my soul, my body, do I really want what God has for me? Do I really want what God wants for me? Or do I prefer that my life and my faith be something more microwavable? <laughs> because, honestly, microwavable life better fits my schedule, right? Again, I'm testifying, I'm not talking about you, unless I am, right? And if these shoes fit, you know. Microwavable life and faith better fits my schedule, but maybe a better way, a more honest way to say it is this, it better fits the schedule that the culture has designed for me if in fact I intend to succeed on the culture's terms. Does that make some sense? Okay, little disclaimer, for the purposes of today's sermon, I am going to pit microwaves against a, a, what I would call farm-to-table processes. <laughs> but I want you to be clear, I am not out on microwaves. I'm really not. I'm alive today because of microwaves. <laughs> I intend to keep using the microwave in various and sundry ways, but this is the low-hanging fruit that was available to me, so I hope that this will make some sense today. It's a very familiar passage, which is always a dangerous thing, preaching a very familiar passage. Because typically what people do when good Christian people who have read these kinds of verses over and over again, a lot of times what happens is, oh, I know these verses, click off, let me check my, if it was football season, it'd be like check my fantasy lineups. But man, I hope that we will all click in today. Because I don't know about you, but for me, and, and I'm the pastor of the church last time I checked, these verses came alive differently for me this time. Let me give us some lenses to better understand and receive what it is that we are seeing in Matthew 4. You remember all the way back to the Old Testament that there was this, this time after the Exodus, after the trip through the Red Sea, right? There was this wilderness wandering. You remember how long that took? Somewhere, the Bible says somewhere around 40 years. Now, 40 is probably an arbitrary number that means a whole bunch. But the number is meant to be remembered. In fact, it's meant to be remembered as you come to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus, similar to the ancient Israelites, has also been on a journey through the wilderness, and not for 40 years, but for 40 days. But you're supposed to think of that older journey. And you're supposed to understand that this is the conclusion of this 40-day journey. At the conclusion of the 40-year journey, lots was said to the people of God before they would enter the promised land. Lots was said to them. <laughs> Moses would say things to them like, hey, you better be careful because now you're about, that you're about to enter the promised land and now that God is not going to be feeding them day in and day out like hand to mouth, there are going to be other, other forces, other temptations out there and if you're not careful, you're going to think of yourselves as self-sufficient and slowly but surely you're going to be navigated away from faith. Similarly, at the end of 40 days, at the end of this journey through the wilderness, now Jesus is attacked to test his mettle, to see if in fact he will be the son of God on God's terms and not Messiah on the culture's terms. Does this make some sense? And let's say this right here too, this is important. When you see Jesus come to life in these verses today, Jesus is in fact supposed to image God for us. 
We totally believe that. We'll continue to say that. And at the same time, this Jesus who is fully God and also fully you and me is also imaging for us what our lives might look like. Jesus is here going to image for us that he understands the kinds of temptations that we face. The question is not just about how will God go about being God. It's not just how will the Messiah go about being the Messiah. The question is also how will the people of God go about being the people of God? And Jesus gets it right where the ancient Israelites got it wrong and we are asked to choose one or the other. And I would submit and I would suggest probably ought to choose Jesus, y'all. In other words, this won't be the last time I say this during Lent. It's a good time today to look at yourself and how you are navigating life with all of its temptations and look at Jesus and how Jesus is navigating life with all of these same temptations and to confess the difference. Confess the difference. The ancient Israelites went through the waters of the Red Sea. Jesus has just come through the waters of baptism. And he was led into the spirit, led in, uh, by the spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. This sounds to me a lot like the book of Job, where the tempter there seems to have been working for God. Here, again, God is sovereign, and the tempter seems to be working with God's permission. Verse 2, he fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards, as you would expect, Jesus was famished. And the tempter came and said to him, if you are the son of God, by the way, probably should have been translated like this, since you are the son of God. Not if, there was not a question. The tempter didn't have a question as to whether or not this Jesus was who Jesus claimed to be. Everybody heard the voice of the baptism, right? Since you are the son of God, why don't you turn all of these stones into all of the breads? really what it says there, a bunch of bread. You're hungry, other people are hungry, and man, how cool would it be, Jesus, if you could just zap things, shortcut to bread. Why wait for the grain to grow? Why wait for the harvest? Why wait for the processes that result in bread when people and you are hungry right now? Jesus, you could be so relevant. Think of how popular you can be. Why, this is a great way, Jesus, for you to go about being, I don't know, Jesus. This is a great way for you to do it. Do something miraculous. But Jesus, you can have right now, right now, what God seems to think you're going to have to wait for. I mean, how often are people of faith tempted by that? come down here and maybe God will just plop something on you and you can have right now what it is that God may have for you but would only come after perhaps months or years of uncertain effort and preparation. In other words, there are some folks who do faith the same way that they're doing retirement or planning for retirement. <laughs> Banking on God just to let you win the lottery. Because you can't seem to find it within your schedule to make the regular investment that might result in renewal. 
You might be saying, God will finally bless my life and my life of faith miraculously. I know God will do it someday. But what if faith is more like farm to table than the lottery or microwaves? What if the supernatural has always been there disguised as the mundane of the natural? The systems and the processes whereby saints are made, a life is made, relationship is made, real change is made. You're gonna to say to me, but I'm really pressed for time. I'm really, really pressed for time, and I'm doing important things. And I want you to hear me say this, hear me say this, God's mind about, finish it with me, God's mind about you too, busy person, is made up, and the news is, and that is really good news. That said, a lack of investment means a lack of return. It's not that God will then miraculously be angry with you and, and somehow condemn you, but friends, boundless life that is, I promise you, well within your reach will remain just out of reach. So is God just toying with you, with me, with us? No, 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 God actually very deeply knows you, me, us, God knows what it takes for us to be fully human, fully Christ-like, fully alive. And God has created creation with that knowledge that we might be farm-to-table saints. An extension of God and God's desire to steward and serve life. Moving all of creation, which would include you and me, inch at a time toward God's future. What is your appetite, though? Do, do you, today or ever, insist that faith should be and that God should be a microwavable resource for you? And ignore how it is that God has already set up creation and the making of saints, but it just happens to be in the long vision of growth and nurture and environment. Scripture refers to a rebellious creation. Now, God has created farm-to-table processes for life, but we sometimes, in our rebellion, prefer microwavable, store-bought life, life at the speed of now. <laughs> life at the speed of now. But what is lost? We can't completely untangle ourselves from the food industry, right? But we should at least consider the sometimes subliminal and sometimes overt and out loud messages we are buying and then microwaving. And the messages make claims on other parts of our lives, right? On health, I would like a pill that restores health to me today, please. I would like a pill that restores my 22-year-old body today, please. The microwavable culture makes claims on how we go about relationships. It also makes claims on how we go about faith. Did you know that you can just go online and instantly be ordained? I couldn't. <laughs> it was a long process for me. There's probably somebody in the room 
who for the purposes of doing a wedding for somebody that you deeply and desperately loved needed to go online and, and get ordained and you got ordained for the low price of $29.99 and in an instant when it took me years are you upset about that John? no but I do worry about what's lost in the process of opting out of the slow work of God let me say that again I do worry about what's lost when we opt out of the slow work of God. Let me say this. I think Jesus was given to the slow work of God. I think, you may not like it, I think this is how Jesus chose to go about being Messiah. So, John, then what does a farm-to-table faith look like? Well, I would say this. Christian habits grow Christians who are also citizens of this life and then go to work Monday through Friday. And God is both honored and glorified, and by glorified I mean made evident, embodied. But fast food, microwavable store-bought habits grow people who very well can be church-going Christians, but they are paying the price most of the time without even knowing it, and that is mostly because of the elemental spirits out there, the oxygen that we're always forced to breathe. It's because those elements have subtly and powerfully shaped how we think things ought to be done. And the tempter, you might find, might just share your opinions on how Jesus should go about being the Messiah. (laughs) Hey, Jesus, make a splash. Turn stones to bread because people eat bread. And Jesus said, yeah, but one does not live by bread alone, but on everything that God says. Everything that God says, and everything that God says seems to contradict here, tempter, what you were asking me to do. All right, then let's try something else, said the tempter. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, if you are the son of God, or again, since you are the son of God, throw yourself down, this will be awesome. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against the stone. Doesn't it seem like sometimes Christians demand that God be spectacular? Let me make it super personal. Do you demand that God be spectacular? Or can God not be in the mundane? Do do you demand that God be spectacular? What does that look like? Well, uh, it might look like certain expectations for this moment, for the moment when we gather for liturgies. Maybe it is, I will only believe that God is there if God will do the miraculous for me now. Maybe it's when you buy the lottery ticket and you do something like this, if there's a God. If there's a God. Jesus, this is a very cool way, said the tempter. This is a very cool way to go about being the Messiah. Like, I kind of think scripture tells me that you're indestructible. Throw yourself down from the highest part of the temple. And then when you are indestructible, by the way, he wasn't. But once people see that you are indestructible, 
people will just flock to your church because people are desperate for a spectacular Jesus. I wish, John speaking now, people were more desperate for really ordinary Jesus that shows up at super ordinary times in super ordinary places to do kind of ordinary things like, I don't kindness, forgiveness. And I worry about the pastor and I worry about the church, the person of faith who insists on the spectacular to the exclusion of the ordinary. Jesus said to him, I don't think it's a good thing to put God to the test and I don't think that's what that verse means, tempter. That's what I think he said. Verse eight, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world on their splendor and he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. This is a tough one and this one steps all over our, to our toes, right? Because are, are you aware, as I am aware, that there are a lot of folks who in the name of Christ are trying to enforce a Christian worldview right now? No, is it just me? It's just me and Aaron. It's happening out there. At great threat, there are Christians out there saying, you will be Christian, and you are going to at least think about these Christian things, or else. <laughs> a while back, Apple Music thought it was a good idea to make sure that everybody got the latest U2 album. Now, I kind of like U2. They're older than me. I can like them, right? But Apple Music said, we will force everyone to have this album on their phones, on their computers, on their iPads, whatever. We will force you to have it. Here's, here's what happened. People learned to hate you too. There might be people in the room who said, I learned that day that I hated you too. When I was forced, the tempter is saying to Jesus here, Hey, look at all of this. And it, wow, look at the Roman Empire. You know what they are? They're strong. Jesus, I kind of know what it is that you want to do. You would like to reclaim and restore the earth. Maybe the way you should think about doing it is via power. And not only do I, can I give you Rome, I can give you Rome's playbook. I can help you to know how to make everybody vote your way and to help them to pay the price if they don't. Jesus says, um, no. In fact, according to scripture, what Jesus says is, scram. <laughs> Enough. Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Again, this does give us some insight on how it is that Jesus is going to go about being the Messiah. He is going to do plenty of things that are miraculous and, and supernatural and spectacular. I, I think that we can understand those things, though, as, as they are things that Jesus is not going to do in an effort to be more popular and powerful. These are things that he's going to do to try to put some skin and flesh on, flesh on what it is that God wants to do in the world. Serving, helping, healing, feeding. It does seem to me sometimes, though, 
And so Jesus does show us how he's going to go about being the Messiah. But Jesus also, in some sense, critiquing us as we try to figure out how to go about being Christians or Christ followers. And it does seem to me that these same temptations are tempting the people of God now. And it seems to me that a lot of Christians, and maybe it's you and maybe it's me, are buckling beneath the weight of the temptations and losing. And losing. Feed people now, Jesus, it'll be awesome, the tempter says, and being awesome is, it's, well, it's awesome. And, and be supernatural and unbreakable now because people will notice it, and not only that, they'll probably post about it. And grab power and make changes now, Jesus, even if people don't like it, because that's how we win around here. I guess the question that we have to ask one another during Lent is, are, are we facing these same temptations? And since the answer is yes, then the question has to be, how are you doing? And maybe, sitting where you are, the hard truth is, yeah, I blew that this week. I may have blown it this morning on the way in. I guess Lent's over for me. But Lent is not, and this is something that Jason and I talk about every year, Lent is not a sprint. You know, if you're, if you're running the 100-yard dash and you fall down, it's pretty much over for you. Because most everybody else in the race is probably fast. Lent, life of faith, it's not a sprint. It's more like a steeplechase. Now, you know what I'm talking about there? How many track and field people out there know what a steeplechase is? Do I see? Okay, four. Okay, good. Five. Here, here is what a steeplechase is. It's, it's lots of laps around the track, lots of laps, right? It's an endurance race. But just to make things more difficult, for the steeplechase, they put like big pools of water that you have to run through or jump over and big obstacles that you have to climb over. And you can expect at some point in there to fall down. Now, falling down is within the rules. And here's what you really ought to do if you fall down running the steeplechase. Here's what you ought to do. You ought not to go back to the beginning. You ought to get up right there where you are and start up again running. Lent is more steeplechase than anything else. I messed up this week. Yeah? Come on. Jump up. Let's go. Dry yourself off. Dust yourself off. Go. Because, guys, not only is that Lent, that's the Christian life. Go. But be aware, too, that you're constantly going to face these temptations. One of my favorite authors wrote a book about this passage, a guy by the name of Henry Nowen. A couple of quotes here from him. What makes the temptation of power so seemingly irresistible? Watch this. Maybe it's that power offers an easy substitute for the hard task of love. <laughs> It's quicker just to overpower you and break you than it is to love you. Followed up quickly with this. As in fact, it seems easier to be God than to love God. Easier to control people or at least try to than it is to love them. And easier to own life than to love How is your Lent going? 
Forgive me here while I'm a little bit critical of my brothers and sisters in faith. I'm sorry. April 9th is Easter Sunday. April 7th is not. April 7th goes by a few names. Black Friday, which we seem to have lost to the shopping world. Good Friday. Here, we call it Tenebrae because of what we do on that Friday. And here's what we do on that Friday. We come face to face. Remember, Lent is a giant mirror held up before each of us. And nowhere is that more true than on Tenebrae, that Friday night. And we come face to face, face to face. Ooh, I like face to faith better, though. <laughs> Write that down, would you? Yeah. <laughs> on Good Friday, we come face to face with what it is that we have done to God. Humanity, we killed Jesus. We come face to face with the reality that we have a lot in common with the people who could yell, Hosanna is he, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord on, on one day, but later on that same week when we haven't gotten what we've wanted out of Jesus for ourselves. We do have that capacity to say, I feel gypped, I feel duped. You aren't being good at being God. Crucify him. It lurks just beneath the surface, and maybe not beneath the surface, but in all of us. On Good Friday, we come face to face with the ramifications of being us. The ramifications for God, <laughs> who chooses to extend God's self to us, we come face to face with how it is that we respond to love freely given. It's not always good. I guess what I'm saying is about the worst thing you could do is skip too soon to Easter Sunday. Because the truth of the matter is we need this journey. We need these mirrors held up before us to show us who we are and who we aren't just yet. We need these mirrors that help us to see how it is that the people, the body of Christ, still have some work to do if we, in fact, are going to embody Christ. You can't skip too soon to the happy ending part of the Easter story. That's not telling the truth. And man, Christians need to know the truth, and all God's people said. And then Christians need to tell the truth, and all God's people said. Because the temptations won't stop, they don't stop. We gather around this table each week, and if you are gonna help us today, please come and help set this table. The temptations are not going to stop, and I'm not talking about the legendary singing group. I don't know why I threw that in there, that's not, even, that's not in my notes. But the temptations to be relevant, to be spectacular, to be powerful, those aren't going to stop because those are the hallmarks of the culture in which we all live, move around, swim around. There's 
the culture is a smoke-filled room, and it's impossible <laughs> to move around in that smoke-filled room and not somehow smell a little bit like that. You know, the orientation to relevance, the orientation to being spectacular, and, to, and the orientation to power. The only chance we have, again, the only chance I have is the regular reminder that at life, that life doesn't have to be that way, that faith doesn't have to be that way, that this Savior each and every week reminds me in this moment and because of the story that this moment is meant to embody, reminds me each and every week that God's mind about me is made up and the news is good. And it's out of a deep and grateful response that I can summon the energy to be something other than the person who's addicted to relevance, to being spectacular and addicted to power. And here's the thing, I think if that's true for me, it's also true for you. There is a sense in which I think that the time around the table resources us to be Christian. And I'm not sure I can do it otherwise. So Heavenly Father, bless these elements. Bread and cup simple elements, but somehow in your hands they become something more. They become tangible reminders of your presence. They become tangible reminders of your grace, of the choice that you continue to make for each and every one of us. In your hands, these elements, God, become the kinds of resources that we need to have the energy, the courage, the humility to be Christ-shaped in a world that is so often angled against Christianity. So take us now as you take these elements and with the bread and the cup grow us toward Christ-likeness. In a moment, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet and exit your pews to the left, all of you who will. By the way, all are invited, but none are compelled. None are compelled. But all who want to, all who want to participate, if you recognize your need for grace, and that's all that you need to qualify for this moment, if you recognize your need for grace, then if you'll exit your pew to the left here in just a second and come forward with your hands cupped, you'll approach somebody with a plate of bread, that person will press a piece of bread into your hands and say, and this is the body of Christ broken for you, and that's the reminder of the story that is the linchpin of our existence as the people of God. This is the body of Christ broken for you. Take that piece of bread, dip it into the cup. When you do, that person will say, and this is the blood of Christ shed for you. Another reminder, same story. And then take and eat, and then find a place to pray. If you come to one of these side padded altars, Someone will meet you there because we will assume that you are there for a prayer for healing. You may want to come to one of these mourner's benches, these kneeling benches here at the front. We won't assume anything other than that you are chronically human and normal and in need of prayer. And somebody at some point will come by and let you know that you are not alone. You can circle right back around and pray at your seat. Absolutely can. You may want to make a special trip by this bowl of water to be reminded of the moment of your baptism. I just hope that you will participate, though, 
and not just in this moment, but by participating in this moment, continue to participate in the season of Lent that will cause you to look at yourself and to look at Jesus and to confess the difference. Are you willing to confess the difference? It was on the night that he was betrayed that our Savior took bread, he blessed it and he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples saying, this is my body broken for you. And every time you eat of it, remember me. Same way, he took the cup, he held it up before them and said, and this is my blood, the blood of a new covenant. And every time you drink of it, remember me. Remember me. And now all across the sanctuary, if you would, stand to your feet, exit your pews to the left, and come forward to receive these gifts of God meant to nourish the people of God.